Welcome to the St. James Parish Podcast. Enjoy sermons, lectures, and special presentations from St. James Episcopal Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. Curious about what else St. James has to offer? Visit our website, linked in the show notes, to learn more. Just over a week ago, my aunt and godmother, Sonia Channon, who Philip has been kind enough to put in the prayers, Sonia Channon died uh, after about a month in hospice care. She had bad dementia and uh, was falling a lot and so had to go into, couldn't stay at home anymore. But it was the kind of dementia that meant that she forgot how to swallow. And so essentially the end was rather difficult for those who loved her and who were around her. And then a little bit after that, I learned about that. I was at a dinner when everyone at the dinner party had some relationship with dementia in their families. And, and it was really striking. And it led me to remember and think about a theologian who's probably not a household name, Hans Reinders, a Dutch theologian, who is very interested in the status of people with severe mental disability or limited abilities to, to do cognitive things. Apparently, he has someone in his family with that issue. And he studied and he, he noticed a woman, uh, met a woman in a nursing home who was young, like in her 20s, who had to be taught every day how to do everything all over again. She had no recollection. She had to be dressed. She had, they did her hair. They, they fed her. And then they put her next to the nurse's station. And people would come by and say, hello, Rebecca, you look great today. That's lovely. I love the way your hair's done. How are you today? And so on. And if she wasn't there for some reason, is Rebecca all right? Is she okay? What's happening? And what he concluded from all of this was that we're not made human uh, by anything other than community. That it's community that defines us as human, not some capacity or some status. Now, I'm not sure I take huge comfort from that, but I like the premise that our value doesn't flow from our capacities. I put it that we are of infinite value because we are made in the image of God. We are made by love for love, and that's it. That's where our value comes from. And I find that somewhat comforting. Comfort is what God commands the prophets to offer the people of Jerusalem. It ease their pain, alleviate their distress, promise freedom from constraint, physical ease, the possibility of going home. We're at the beginning of what we know as Second Isaiah. Uh, he's speaking. The people in Jerusalem have been taken into exile in Babylon. The Babylonians have been vicious and violent. In fact, Isaiah says they, they paid, the Israelites have paid double recompense for their sins, the, 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 the violence was so bad. And the comfort that is promised is twofold. One is that the valley is this strange image of the valleys being raised up and the mountains brought low and the God would be made manifest. It meant that the people could go home quickly and safely. And the second promise of comfort is that God knows they're going to mess up again. And, and that God will be with them because their value is that they are loved. They, they will be inconstant like grass that withers and like flowers that fade. But nonetheless, and even so, they're of value because they're loved. Yahweh will lead his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and gently lead them. Now, I don't know about you, but it's impossible for me to read and think about this passage and passages like it and not think about the war 
that's raging in Gaza with the despair I feel about the whole situation. There's no comfort that I can find in thinking about that. Our presiding bishop said it best when he pleaded, just stop the killing, just stop it. That must be the precursor whenever that can happen to beginning to sort out this long-standing mess. But all that's left for us is lament, lament and prayer and connection with those we know who are deeply affected by this and other wars. It's small comfort, however, as we prepare for a season in which we welcome the Prince of Peace and declare peace in a sinful and broken world. Small comfort in where people suffer from wars and dementia and all manner of distress. But fast forward, the beginning of Mark's gospel, the genesis of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the story of John the Baptist, baptizer, a messenger, proclaiming, make straight the way of the Lord in the wilderness. In this couple of sentences, Mark has got everything. He's got Genesis. The, the quote is a mixed mishmash of Isaiah and Malachi, and Malachi is important because it's the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures. He's got Jesus in there, Joshua. He's got Exodus in there. The whole story of God's relationship with with, with the faithful of Israel is coming to fruition, and we are to prepare for a mighty act of God. Now, we know that that mighty act of God is not going to put the world to rights. The Romans are not going to be cast out. Gaza fighting is not going to stop today. God is not going to pay back those who we think has hurt us. Not, he's not going to move things around. No, this act of God for which we're preparing it's one that's going to shift our imaginations. It's one that's going to, like the veil of the temple was torn in two, it's going to unveil all of those mechanisms by which we do violence to one another and somehow often try and justify it as redemptive. It's going to open up to us a new way of seeing, liberated from the power of death as our ultimate horizon going to open up the possibility that death is not the worst thing in life. Think about Jesus going to his death. The worst thing in life for him was not death. It was breaking faith with the source of his life itself, with the source of his integrity, with the source of our life, the one who is love. Now, in real terms, this means that how we respond to loved ones with dementia, to brutal, violent, unspeakable, awful wars in Israel and Ukraine and Darfur and civil wars all over the place. How we respond to those things that cause us distress is not, does not have to be despair. Rather, we, we, we can respond with reasonable and holy hope that the last word is not pain or evil or death. The last word is love. It's the story of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is the true word of real comfort for me and for us in a sinful and broken world. Now, it's not something that's terribly obvious just because I say it. It's something we have to learn. We have to learn through our, lives, our whole lives long that God is trustworthy for life, even in the face of death, even in the face of dreadfulness. And we, we learn that by practicing our faith over time, discovering and learning over and over again that God is trustworthy. So whatever your spiritual practices are, including gathering here week by week, 
Whatever your spiritual practices are, take heart, lament what is broken and wrong, and double down on that spiritual practice so that you can say, yes, the last word is love, and therefore we may have hope. I offer this because I find it comforting. Comfort my people, says the Lord. I offer this reasonable and holy hope in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.